following is a continuation in our series looking at the lies that Satan tells us. We hope you enjoy. Go ahead and pray for our evening. And then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, that you are in control of all things. And we pray that as we seek to better understand what that means, Lord, that you would bless us and that you would watch over us this evening. And we just thank you for your love for us. We pray this in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. Right, so before we get into our passage, I want to tell you all a little story about something that happened to me back in 2006 or 2007. My best friend had come up to Charlotte to visit me. And if you can imagine, downtown Bryan is a lot smaller than, say, a downtown Charlotte, right? And we were downtown, we were walking around, we were actually looking for his brother because his brother went to a concert and we couldn't get a hold of him. So we were trying to find him in a city of 1.2 million people. And we were wandering around and we got to the point where it's like, we have no clue where he is. And I start pacing, I'm nervous, I'm worried about him. And I turn around and take a step and my friend says something. And it caught my attention for a second and I hesitated and then I turned and then all of a sudden, a bus flew about this far in front of me. Scared the daylights out of me. Had he not said something in that last second, I probably would have stepped in front of that bus and gotten killed. The bus was very close to the sidewalk. In fact, he was almost up on top of the sidewalk and just about killed me. But I'm thankful for that small word from my friend saying, hey, or I don't even remember what he said. He was just trying to get my attention. And I didn't get hit by a bus. I'm standing here, Okay. This is a good thing. So I firmly believe that the Lord works in mighty ways through simple things like that. I'm thankful that the Lord preserved me. I'm thankful that the Lord works through simple things like that to protect and to watch over and to teach and to show the world and his people that he is in control. So that's exactly what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at the character of God and why God is sovereign. So the lie that we're going to look at tonight is that Satan's going to tell us that God is not sovereign. God doesn't have everything in control. We see that God is in control throughout the scriptures. Matthew 7.24 says, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? In Ephesians 1.11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8.28, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... And just one more, Colossians 1, 16 to 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The character of God that we see in all those passages is what Satan is going to try and call into question in our hearts. Okay, so our lie tonight deals with Satan trying to convince you that God is not good. And not only is he not good, but he doesn't have your good in mind. So, tonight, let's look at God promises us in his scriptures that he is sovereign and that nothing is beyond his knowledge and control. And we're going to look at two ways that Satan tries to distort that. First, by trying to convince us that God is not near to us. And then secondly, by trying to convince us that God is not active in your life. So let's start by looking at Genesis 3, verses 6 to 10. And it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took off its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So before the fall, Adam and Eve were privileged to have and share this intimate relationship with God. where They could be with him, they could walk with him in the garden, and God was walking in the cool of the day, and he knows what happened. It's not like he's surprised by the fall. But they chose to trust the devil instead of trusting in God. They chose to disobey the command and they sinned. And this sin caused them to withdraw from God. What did they do? They hid themselves, right? They covered themselves. This is what happens with sin. It causes us to withdraw. It causes us to seek hiding places. It causes us to feel shameful and want to run. And part of what happened at the fall was sin had created this distance between us and God. We no longer share that same intimate communion that Adam and Eve once shared. Because of our sin, yes, there is this this idea that, that God is not near to us in the sense that there's sin separating us. But Satan wants to press in and say that distance is such a an immeasurable chasm that you have to feel like God is so far away and he has no control over your life. So let's turn to Isaiah 59. Real quick. You're going to find that on page 618, if you're using one of the church Bibles. As we're looking at this, let's keep in mind Genesis chapter 3, 6 to 10, that there is that distance that sin has created. And Emma, would you mind reading verses 1 to 2? Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you. So the outplaying of the rest of the scriptures after the fall, right, is all about the plan and purpose of God to deal with sin and draw people back to himself, back to enjoying that fellowship with him. In Genesis 3.15, we saw that promise that God was going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. That's the promise of Christ coming to do away with the distance, that sin, the chasm. And the rest of the Bible story is all about how God fulfills that promise and how he, he brings all those things to completion. Uh, so for us, the problem is we have sin, and sometimes that makes us feel like God is so far away. We kind of talked about this a few weeks ago, and this is just another aspect of that. If we don't feel like God is near, we don't feel like he knows what's going on in our lives. We don't feel like he's in control. We don't feel like he knows what I need. Have you ever felt like God was not near to you? I think we all have in many, many ways. It's hard to believe that if God has our good in mind and he feels so far away, how can he be in control? This is why Isaiah says things, and if you continue reading in chapter 59, he says stuff like, for your hands are defiled with blood. This shows our guilt. He says, your lips have spoken lies. talks about the deception that we have in our hearts because of sin. In verse 4, no one enters a suit justly. No one goes to the law honestly. There's a great injustice that happens in our hearts because of sin. And our iniquities, again, have caused this separation between us and God. And we have to be careful when we think about that. We have to be careful in not saying that that distance is because God is not there. 
God's not telling us that in the Scriptures. In fact, he, he says things very clearly otherwise. But we feel that that distance is there because we tend to feel more secure when, when we're close to somebody we trust. We tend to feel more secure when we're around somebody that we trust. But look at the end of chapter 59. Okay, look in verses 14 to 20. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy part of this passage, but just bear with me because Isaiah is listing all these reasons why we should have this separation with God, and then he ends with this. Starting at verse 14. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. They shall fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun. And he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a Redeemer will come to Zion, those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. So even in the midst of this sinful separation from God, God is clearly at work. The Lord works in the midst of this distance. Recently, we spent a lot of time looking at the covenants, right? And what do the covenants remind us of? God's promises and his love. And this is how he ends this whole section, talking about the separation that sin has caused. And as for me, this my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you, my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, and out of the mouth of your offspring, or to the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. What Isaiah is trying to tell us here in this passage, what Isaiah is trying to tell his readers at that time, is that God is near even if we don't feel him near. And that God is sovereign even though we may not feel his comforting presence. To understand this more, please go back and listen to Lesson 5 from this series, talking about what do I do when God feels so far off. But God is near. Passages like this, this reminder of God's covenant, are a direct reminder to us that God is present. He is near, even if we don't feel him near. And what comes with that is that he's still in control. It doesn't feel like he is, but he is still clearly in control. So God is near, and God is also active. Let's turn to Psalm 139. If you're using a church Bible, it's on page 521. This is a psalm of David. And before I read this, this is a psalm that David wrote when he was running from running from Saul. So like, Saul's chasing him, Saul wants to kill David, David's running, he's fearful, and this is what he writes. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the example of David and seeing how God sovereignly worked through and was active in every step of his life. So David serves as this amazing example of the activity of God. 
So, looking back, are you all familiar with the narrative of when Samuel went and chose David as king? He goes and he's talking to all these brothers of David, and what happens? Are any of them up to snuff? Okay, Even though they're bigger, even though they're stronger, even though they have better jobs and they have more prestige, what happens? Samuel says, is there another brother, right? And... Jesse, David's father, says, well, yeah, I guess we have the, the runt of the litter. He's out in the fields right now. He smells bad. He's a shepherd. He's kind of small, okay, kind of dainty. But we have this one other, and Samuel knows that God is working through this whole process of choosing a king, and he knows that none of these other brothers are the true king. Chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, he says this, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king amongst his sons. That's God promising that there's something going on. That's God promising that there's a bigger picture than Samuel can even imagine here. Okay, If we were sent to go find a king, who would we probably look for? We'd probably look for one of those other sons, right? We'd probably look for the stronger ones, the ones that are warriors, the ones that are powerful. But God's plan was something vastly different, and he had to orchestrate these events in order to show his people that. Continuing in verses 10 to 13 in 1 Samuel 16, it said, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. What did it say? The Lord has not done what? Has not chosen these. This is God's choice, not Samuel's choice, not Jesse's choice. Are all your sons here? There remains yet a youngest brother. Behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he does this because he knows that the Lord is actively calling David to be the king. David did nothing to deserve this. Right? In fact, if we look at the whole of David's life, we know that he made a lot of terrible decisions. Okay? There's nothing uh, inherent inside of David that made him a good king other than he was God's choice. Did God use him in mighty ways? Yes. So God's will was that he would be king, and he was, this was going to happen because God sovereignly directed it to Happen. So when we get to David's life in Psalm 139, which we just read, David's composing this psalm. His life is at great risk. He's taken a stand for God, but Saul is trying to kill him, and he's worried. But there in God's presence, David takes stock of his own life. And he starts to evaluate, and he starts to seek to understand how God has been at work in his life. He's asking questions like, what do I have going for me? What can I count on right now? But he finds assurance in the truth that God knows him. He knows the deepest and most intimate parts of him. He draws strength from this loving care and this renewed zeal that he has to, to continue to press on, to continue to find strength, to continue to lean into God, knowing that God is doing something amazing. He may not understand it. He may not know what God is doing, but he's trusting in that, that God has a plan. So he's praising God not for getting himself out of a situation, but he's praising for God being at work. So there's this active work that we see all throughout David's life from God through these events. And we can look at many, many other characters and passages throughout the scriptures to see how God has been at work. We can look at how Joseph was uh, sold into slavery. We know that at the end of that, uh, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? We see this in the whole book of Ruth. Okay, The whole book of Ruth is about a redemption story. 
And if you look at the whole book, there's this, these constant places where God is specifically doing very specific things in order to bring about uh, redemption. We see this in the, the shutting of the lion's mouth in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, the whole book of Jonah. What was Jonah trying to do? He was trying to actively thwart God's plan. And what did God do? He said, no, <laughs> right? He said, you're not going to do that. In fact, you're going to do exactly my plan, and I'm going to make you do it. We see the entire book of Job, God bringing about trials into Job's life to teach him and to mold Job more after his image. Even looking at the entire book of Judges, we see this gigantic mess, right? All this sin for the purpose of God showing his people that they needed a Savior. So Satan wants you to think that all of these things are just a coincidence, right? This lie that we're talking about tonight. All these things. God's really not in control, right? He doesn't really know what's what's going on. He's kind of just up there uh, uh, unaware and out of control. And I think all of us can go back just a few weeks ago and see the mighty hand of God, right? Many of you were here. We had a very tragic event. Where's Austin? Austin, I'm glad you're here, man. Really glad you're here. We experienced something crazy and scary. But I want you to see all the amazing things that God did that night. People were in the right places. We had an ER doctor here. Somebody was telling me that Dr. Mike, very recently, was petitioning to have blood inside the ambulances. Okay, That wasn't a thing here until Mike did that. And there was blood in the ambulance, right, Austin? Well, maybe you don't remember that, but uh, but there was blood in the ambulance because God was working through Dr. Mike to make that part of a regular practice of our medical system. There's beauty in the details. There's so much beauty in the details of how God sovereignly works. And all these things, they're not just this coincidental string of events. And we need to trust that God is not working through coincidental events. The Bible tells us that God is powerful. He's not there just pushing a bunch of buttons. He is in control of our lives. He does direct us. He's not up there just completely aloof and not knowing what's going on. It's not like he stepped out on a bathroom break and he comes back and he's like, well, shoot, what happened to Austin, right? Like, No. He knows. He knows. He's orchestrated all these things. It's, sometimes it's hard for us to recognize it and think about why would God orchestrate that? That was a tragic thing. That was a hard thing. But God does so because it's part of his bigger plan. God loves you and he uses the circumstances of your life, all of our lives, to mold us and to make us more willing and able to follow him. And we can trust in that. And there's a great assurance in the beauty of those details because God is near, even though we may not feel like he is. Even in those moments where we feel like God is near and we feel like there's no way that God is watching over my life right now, he is. He's not up there unaware. He's actively at work. And we as the church need to be confessing that each and every day. That God is powerful. He knows all that's going on. Uh, in fact, one of the confessions that we often use in the church, and this is actually one of my favorites, I'm just going to read a part of it because I think it's so powerful. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism 1 asks, Christian, what is your only hope in life and in death? This one is a favorite of mine because it, it shows this whole idea of sovereignty. Part of it reads, He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing, ready from now on to live for Him. 
when I read that, I hope you see the beauty in the fact that there's not a single hair that can fall from your head without God's knowledge. Okay? He knows your hairs. Okay? He knows everything about you. And he's fully aware. And he's fully working through. When Nathan just pulled a hair out of his head right now, he knew he was going to do that. Okay? God loves you. God loves you enough to show you through the Scriptures that He cares. So don't believe the, the lie that Satan tries to tell us when he says that God is out of control, that God is not sovereign. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask that you would be with us tonight as we unpack some more Scriptures that talk about your sovereignty. And we pray this in Christ's holy and wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYN.